0: The envelope was at the bottom of the small pile of mail, as if it planned the surprise. I'd already been to the shop for the newspaper and the girl, the new one, had counted my change incorrectly. And I'd said so, and she'd said, aren't you the sharp one? Which she'd never have said to a 20 year old. I felt like saying, and aren't you the stupid one, but didn't. On the way home, I'd stopped under the tree outside Suzanne's place. I was about to keep going when I noticed on the ground, under the tree, a tiny sugar glider, no bigger than a toddler's fist, curled up on its side, sleeping. I had to take my time, bending down. I looked back at Suzanne's house, definitely no one home. The sugar glider was breathing, but its breaths were fast and shallow, as if it might not be long for the world. I dropped my satchel and walking stick, sat down on the ground, and picked the little creature up. I could find no obvious injuries, but ants were making their way over the underside of the glider's face and neck. No doubt anticipating their attack once the elements had done their work. It blinked slowly, its dark eyes looking awfully sad. I brushed off as many ants as I could and took my cardigan from my satchel and wrapped the glider up. It didn't resist me, had no fight at all. You should be with your mother, I said, not sleeping on the footpath. I held the glider against my chest. The sun was already high in the sky, and although there was a freshening northeasterly breeze, I felt it was going to be a warm day. We sat for a while the sugar glider and I, both of us too weak to do much else. I was just contemplating how I might manage to stand up when I saw the young man from the grocery store on his way to work. Hello, he called out as he charged down the hill towards me. Are you all right, Mrs. Hogan? Well, clearly not, Patrick, I said. I've gone and sat down and now I need to stand up. I have a sugar glider. So you do, he said, moving closer to give me his arm. That's the one was there last night. You saw it last night? Yeah, he said, on my way home from work. Why didn't you pick it up? They're pests, Mrs. Hogan, at least that's what my dad says. I gave him my free hand and he pulled me up. No, they're not. They're bush animals, I said. I took the sugar glider back and sent him on his way. I'm glad I'm not a little creature, or you might have left me here. Anyway, thank you, Patrick, I said, and then noticed his name badge said Mark. So nice of him not to correct me. I smiled and patted his shoulder. See you, Mrs. H. Have a good one. Most mornings I see Geoffrey, the postman, who always has something interesting to say about the world. But today he must have come early. The children next door on the uphill side were standing at the gate, in their uniforms, their mother at the top of the stairs yelling at them. Nothing unusual in that household, frankly. I smiled as I passed the children and said, out of their mother's hearing, Is that a dragon I can hear? They didn't respond but the older one, a boy of about ten, smiled back and craned his neck to look at what I carried. I'll show you later, I said. I put the mail down to open the door, and took the sugar glider, still in my cardigan, and set it down in the umbrella box. It was breathing more easily, although it was incurious about its new surroundings. Exhaustion, I decided, and exposure, Somehow it had been separated from its mother. I picked up the mail and left it on the hall table, while I went to warm some milk and sugar and put on the coffee. I found an eyedropper in the bathroom and washed it out. I took the saucepan of sweet milk to the front hall and filled the dropper. At first, the glider showed no interest, but I persisted, pushing the dropper towards its tiny mouth until it took a first little lick and then guzzled. Hungry too, I said. It looked up at me and I could have sworn it smiled. I filled a hot water bottle and put it in the box, unwrapping the glider from my cardigan and wrapping it in an old piece of flannel. I made my coffee and went to get the mail from the hallway table. It was the usual nonsense, a bill from the electric company, a rather lovely booklet from the SPCA, a David Jones catalog, and the envelope. I knew where it was from, the blood red logo in the corner, the R with its long tail. But even though I knew, it took a moment to recall the word, as if I had it tucked away in the very darkest corner of my mind, and it took time to find the light switch. Miss Ivans came first, her name and then her face, smiling, saying as she so often did. After all, Iris, we're women, we do things, and then Royalmon. I thought, finally, dear Royalmon. As I sat down on the floor in the hall, fell down really and found myself seated. I haven't heard for years, not a single word, not from any of them. Lately, I've got to wondering whether when you get to heaven you'll be the age you die or some other age a favorite, perhaps. If I'm the age I die, I'll be old, and most of those I lost will be young. If I'm given a choice, indeed if heaven's where I'm going, I'll pick five, so I can remember my mother, or twenty, so my life is yet to be decided. And then I'll do it all differently. Ah, regrets. Where do they take us? Not here, not to happiness. I didn't open the envelope straight away. I'd felt the little flutter and decided it was best not to upset the apple cart. I got up from the floor slowly, using the hallway table for support. After breakfast, I sat down on the front porch and looked at the envelope again. It's from the Fondation Royaumont that runs the abbey these days. Inside is a folded card, the edge glinting in the sun, I open it up. It's an invitation. They've asked me back. They've asked us all back because come December, they're laying a plaque to commemorate our service, to recognize us, Les Dames Ecousses de Royaumont, the Scottish women of Royaumont. It's 60 years since the war ended, if you can believe it, and they know if they wait for a 100, none of us will be left. Whenever I contemplate my coming death, which I can still do without anxiety, it remains theoretical, even now, I suppose. I know there is one task left undone. I have found myself wondering what became of Violet, whether she's living, whether she's happy. And the older I get, the more I wonder. Water under the bridge, I told her once, it's all just water under the bridge. Well, it seems Violet's not only alive, but able to speak on behalf of the women of Royamont-to speak, can you believe, about what women can do? It says so on the invitation. At twenty one years of age, and alighting from the train in Paris, I felt as certain as I do now of my coming death that my life was truly beginning. The other life I'd lived at Risdon. With Daddy and Tom, and at the Mater in Brisbane, even Al was like a rather pleasant interval, a practice for the real life that was now mine. I remember it was a gray day, and the light refracted through the grimy roof windows of the station, and gave everything a singular shining beauty. I thought I would never again see people so illuminated by the stark purpose of their lives.